0: Our first passage tonight is Romans chapter 10, uh, verses 14 to 15. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear? Without someone preaching to them. And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The next passage is from Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38, and that's on page 687. But the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field.
1: Hi, everyone. Uh, Can you hear me? Okay, it's coming through. Uh, My name's Dave, and if I haven't met you before, I'm a student minister here at five o'clock, and it's my privilege to uh, bring us God's Word. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter nine, so please keep that open. Um, And like we've uh, Ron was saying before, our topic tonight is mission. Uh, This is our our whole weekend for church, and we've been um, uh, thinking, uh, you know, about our our missionaries and the heart that they have for God's mission. Um, And friends, uh, we just we need to be careful. Uh, We're in a a busy kind of culture. Um, We we Outsource things in our lives, like our cleaning. You know, many of us will have cleaners and stuff like that for our house, but we've got to be careful not to outsource our mission. Uh, we can't outsource our mission. Our missionaries don't do our dirty work for us. Uh, God calls us all to have a heart for mission. So, as we come to read God's word now, um, I want us to uh, consider Jesus and consider His heart for mission. And why don't we pray that God would do His work in us again? Okay, let's pray. Father, we know Your love for the world, and we pray that tonight that you would help us to understand it better um, and not the kind of understanding that we only have in our heads, but please give us your heart for your mission. Um, We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, like I said, uh, keep your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 9. And as we do sort of step into this passage, into the blue, like we haven't been looking at this book in any kind of series, we step into a context where Jesus has been ministering and working his mission. We see his heart for the lost and we see crowds and crowds and crowds of people following him around, lapping up every word that he says, uh, just digging in and, and sitting there and, and loving every moment of it. You can see verse there in verse 35, a summary statement of the previous few chapters. Jesus has been working, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness in every town and village. He's going for it. And let me suggest to you, if you were someone who was in the community who was uh, like a leper, as one was mentioned uh, earlier in chapter 7, I think it is, or chapter 8, if you were uh, someone who was isolated because you had been bleeding for 12 years, like one of the women that is mentioned, if you were someone who was blinded from birth and the only way that you were able to contribute to your society was through begging, then let me ask you, what would stop you from joining those crowds? What would stop you from seeing like, the, the potential that Jesus was in town, the potential that all of this could be restored? Nothing would stop you. You would join the crowd straight away. And here's the reason. Because Jesus is the solution to your problems. He is the the one person in human history who can give you life, who can forgive your sins, who can make you feel safe. You know this if you're a Christian, don't you? You know the life and forgiveness, a future hope, that when you think about it, it's just profoundly transforming. And I wonder, do you remember the day when you first understood it? Do you remember looking back and, and that first day you recognized who Jesus was and the, the penny dropped and you realized and, and, it, and it just changed everything? Friends, this is Jesus' mission. This is what Jesus has been doing. He's been healing a broken world while we see in the Gospels a lot of what Jesus season does, you know, we'll be familiar with this. Many of us have been to church before. We've heard some of the things that Jesus has said and we've heard what he's done. Tonight we actually get a different perspective and we get to glimpse into the inside of Jesus. And it's a, it's a great opportunity and it's, this passage is really precious to me. And um, what I'm hoping and I think what Jesus wants for his disciples is for him to share his heart for his mission. I want to say uh, there's there's three things that we need to note, And we'll step through these. What Jesus sees. We note what Jesus feels. And then we know what Jesus wants his disciples to do. Okay, those three things. What he sees, what he feels, and what he wants his disciples to do. So notice first in verse 36. Have a look there. That Jesus saw the crowds. They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus saw the crowds. He's not too busy for this. He doesn't just notice it in passing. He stops and gives it his full attention. This can sometimes be the hardest thing to do, can't it? To actually stop for a moment and not consider our own emotions and our own ailments and worries and anxieties, but to actually look out and see other people around you. And I wonder if you can look out like Jesus looks out. Consider a moment to, uh, uh, and try and picture for a moment the people that you have seen in the last week or so. The people in your workplace, the people at the shops, at the, at the movies. Did you see the people running across the bridge this morning? Did you see the people gathered out here at Milsons Point Station? There were thousands of people. Can you picture your, the receptionist at work, your boss, the person in the cubicle next to you? Those people that you get along with, those people you don't get along with. Jesus sees the crowds. Have a look in verse 36 and see what he sees. Jesus sees the crowds that they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You know, There's lots of different ways that we can sort of categorize people. We can see uh, people that we get along with, people we don't get along with. Uh, the people that are sort of going to help us develop as a person, people that are sort of, uh, they're they're out of control, we're going to stay away from those people. Jesus doesn't see that. He sees people that are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They're harassed, okay, meaning they're under attack. And they're helpless, meaning they're they're vulnerable, that they've got no defense. And then he says, puts these two things together in a picture, they're like sheep without a shepherd. Do anyone have any kind of experience with sheep? Anyone a rural type, country type person? Uh, one over here, okay. Okay, we won't get you to sort of voice your opinion. I've got an opinion about it, so um, you know, I don't know too much about sheep, honestly, but they're vulnerable things, okay? Um, I've seen sheep that have been attacked by flies, sort of been pecked at by birds, pigs, uh, frosts overnight, the weather conditions can, be, can harm sheep. They're vulnerable things and they need a shepherd. They need a shepherd. They need someone to look after and care for them. You now, last week I was um, out at a friend's property and I uh, was doing some blokey kind of stuff, getting my pasty student skin into the sun. Um, it was great. I was just being such a, a bloke, you know, barbed wire. I, I had calloused hands. I had blisters on my face. i still got them and I still, you know, it hasn't rubbed off just yet. I'm feeling a little bit blokey at the moment. Um, so I'd give me a handshake later on and it'll be nice and firm. Um, but as we're sort of putting up this fence, I look into the next field and there's this really, you know, there's sheep grazing in this field next to us. And the field that's around it is just got this excellent fence. I had, I had fence envy as I was putting up my own fence because this was pretty solidly done, set up by the council, I think. So they'd done a special job with it. They had a ute, like they had some special equipment. Um, but these, these sheep were protected. It's a small property. They've got a great fence. There's a house that can see every corner of it. But when I cast my eye over it, I saw there's, there's two dead sheep just lying there, sort of sprawled out on the ground. And, you know, dogs had got in there, and I imagine dogs had got in there, and they'll, just, they'll maul anything that moves. And the sheep don't have a chance. They don't have a chance without a shepherd. And this is what Jesus sees. People like this in all sorts of trouble. Notice that Jesus doesn't see. Notice what he doesn't see. He doesn't see people that are basically okay. People that are sort of going about their own business, the kind of people that, you know, you'd offer your help to them, but they'd probably refuse it anyway. They're just, they're making a fist of things. They're going fine. No, he he sees more deeply than this. Mind you, he doesn't see people that are just innocent victims of their situations, people that are just finding it tough because of the collection of experiences in their life. Sure, you know, we are... All have been changed and affected by different situations where we have been hurt in different ways from different people. There's truth to this. But a true view of the world insists that we don't see someone as a victim without also seeing them as a perpetrator. Now, there was a man uh, called Alexander Solzhenitsyn, a man who had witnessed some of the, the worst human behaviour that you can see in the Second World War and in the Russian Gulag. And he saw, he saw clearly enough to see this, that the line between good and evil, it doesn't pass between any different ethnic group. There's not some people at work that it sort of, there's the good guys and the bad guys. That line passes straight through every one of us. And friends, this is what the Bible calls sin. This is what Ron mentioned before. We're each agent of evil that has corrupted each one of us We have corrupted our world. It turns us from God. It is this that God opposes in this world, this evil. It is this that Jesus came to destroy. And so Jesus doesn't see basically good people trying to make a fist of it. And nor does he see basically bad people, you know, hearts full of evil, people that you just write off, they're condemned. There's no hope for those people. Jesus sees people in trouble. People who need a shepherd. And I want to ask you tonight will you see what Jesus sees? Will you look around the people in your workplace, the crowds that you see driving in the train tomorrow at work, the people that, that you're going to come in contact with randomly, the friends that you're going to catch up with? Will you see them and see them that are people in trouble, people that need a shepherd? Will you see what Jesus sees? But as well as seeing what Jesus sees, secondly, we note what Jesus feels. Feelings can be fickle things, can't they? You know, there's so many different things that can contribute to the way that you feel. You know, you might have had a bad day at work, could have just had an ice cream and you feel really good about yourself. There could have been anything that did it. Um, and we know this is the case because there are entire industries that are based on the premise. You know, the idea that, you know, I'm walking down the street and I see a sign and all of a sudden I feel like Pizza. You know, it's just, it's just sprung into this, this feeling for pizza all of a sudden because I've seen a sign. What you feel, to some degree, is a function of what you see. And so if we look around and see the people around us, you know, that they're plain bad people. If we see people and, and think they're, they're just evil people, we're probably going to feel contempt. We're going to feel some kind of indignation towards them. You might feel anger or hatred towards those people. If you see people that are basically self-sufficient or successful, or people that are basically going okay, how are you going to feel? You might feel respectful of them. You might actually be jealous of them. You might be envious. Um, You might be intimidated by them. Or if they're basically going at the same level as you, you might just not care about them at all. You know these feelings, the people you see when you see the crowds? Have a look at verse 36. When Jesus saw the crowd... He felt compassion upon them because he saw they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. I think we know that sort of feeling of compassion, don't we? You know, you, you look at the TV and you might see one of those World Vision ads. You might see the news and there's someone who's trapped or lost. You might um, hear a case of rape or of pedophilia, and just you know, it's that it's that gut feeling where you long you long that the situation for that person would be different. My question is, will you look around and see the crowds? And will you see that people are harassed and helpless? And will you see what Jesus sees? And will you feel the compassion that Jesus feels? Not envy, not jealousy, not intimidation or disdain, Deep, deep, and sustained compassion. Uh, thirdly, Jesus' compassion has driven him to action. Uh, it's not that the compassion that kind of is there for a moment and disappears again. Uh, Jesus has been driven by his compassion to, to teach and preach and heal. Later, we, he drives him out and he's weeping over Jerusalem. And ultimately, we know that it drives him to a cruel death on the cross. And at this point, Jesus turns to his disciples and he calls them to take action. He he tells them what to do, okay? This is the third point. Here he changes the metaphor from sheep and shepherds to another kind of agricultural metaphor, to harvests and laborers. And, you know, these are agricultural metaphors, but they're not just for, you know, to help the simple country types understand what's going on. They're laden with Old Testament injury. It's always amazing to see how much the Old Testament is is sort of uh, being used in the New Testament letters. Uh, Both of these images, particularly the harvest, is speaking about God's precious people that God will one day bring to himself. They're the people that he has committed his future to. And the logic here is pretty straightforward. Jesus is gathering his people to himself, his harvest. And the logic is straightforward. There's a problem. It needs resolving. The harvest is big. And the laborers are too few. And there's one one solution, isn't there? You just need to get more labourers out there. Um, My brother goes out uh, in a month's time. He's going to be doing some wheat harvesting up at Weewall. He's going to be driving a tractor. He drives it for 12 hours a day, for 16 days. Someone else takes it for the other 12 hours, and that tractor's going 24 hours. They do uh, 8,000 acres. It's a hard work. Can you imagine doing it with sickles? You would get out there, you'd bang away for a day. You'd have to bushel it up, you take it back to get it threshed and you wouldn't have made a dent on that paddock, right? The work, the harvest is big, that's the point. Jesus is calling his disciples in action and um, it comes down to verse 38 where he, wants to, he tells them what he wants them to do and I want to do an exercise with you. I want you to cover up half of verse 38. Just look down there. The harvest is plentiful but the workers are few. Put your finger, put your finger right there. Now, I know that you guys have probably read, you heard it read out before and you've got amazing memories and I know you know what it says, but just try and put it to one side for the moment. And I want you to imagine how this sentence should be finished or how it, it best makes sense. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, let's go shopping, let's go get a coffee and let's, let's talk about it some more. That's not right, is it? That's not the right answer. That's not what Jesus is going to say in this verse, is it? He's, if you think that this is the, the, the sort of the work that Jesus wants us to do, if tonight you say to the person next to you, yeah, let's, let's go and have a coffee and talk about it some more, that's not, the, that's not getting the full picture of it, okay? Let's have a look at a better option. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, let's get to work. Let's tell people about Jesus. If we see people that are that are, that are without a shepherd, let's give them the shepherd. Let's, let's go door knocking. Let's go to the, the fair trade stall and take every opportunity we can. Let's take our spare moments at lunchtime to tell our friends about Jesus. Let's invite them around and say, look, I've got some important news for you. Let's invite them to church. Let's not be embarrassed about it. Uh, in a moment, Jesus is going to enact these worlds, he's going to actually be the Lord of the harvest. He's going to send out his disciples into the harvest to work. At the end of Matthew's gospel, he's going to send a whole lot more disciples out and say, go to the world and tell people the message that I've been teaching you about the kingdom of God. Go, everyone. Disciples equals laborers, and that involves all of us. For goodness sake, we need people to go. We need people to to think outside of Kirribilli. We need people to think about moving overseas like our missionaries we're not outsourcing this to other people like these aren't people doing our dirty work this is the heart that we're all to share there's no doubt that jesus wants his disciples to work but that's not what he says here is it have a look at verse 38 again the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few therefore ask the lord of the harvest to raise up laborers for the harvest he calls his disciples to pray and this is really important for Jesus in shaping the hearts of his disciples he wants them to ensure he wants to ensure that they go out not in their own strength we never go out in our own strength and evangelize or tell people about Jesus effectively you can't go out independent of the solution or independent of the antidote and think that you might fix the problem or remove the danger? Actually, it's really, it's with a sense of relief that we hear that we need to pray, isn't it? Uh, The sense that we look out and we see our friends and we've tried as much as we can to help people to understand who Jesus is and it just hasn't got through. Isn't it encouraging and and a relief to know that there's a Lord of the harvest? Someone who is in control do you know that jesus is the lord he has been raised to the place of all authority at the right hand of the father over every principality and power he is the lord of the harvest and he hasn't lost control and he wants us to pray for his harvest and in particular that he would raise up people and throw them out into the fields So my question is, will you see what Jesus sees? Will you feel what Jesus feels? And will you commit yourselves to pray? I've actually printed off a prayer on a small sheet of paper that um, hopefully has been inserted in each of the Bibles you received on the way. I'd love it if you could pull it out now. Uh, This is a short prayer that sort of encapsulates the sentiments that we've been talking about tonight. It's not a, a secret handshake with God. It's not the secret password to make God listen to you or anything like that, it's just, like I said, it's just the words that kind of sum this kind of stuff up. I want you to turn it over and write on the back the name of our link missionaries. The Bennets, the TNs. I want you to write down as well some of the names of the people that you visualize as you visualize the people at your workplace. Maybe the person that owns the cafe down the road that you go to. You might not know their name, just write down, you know the person. I want to ask you to commit to praying this and I'd like you to pray it as long as you can but I'd like you to commit to doing it for a week. Pray it every day. I don't mean you know occasionally I don't mean when you're sort of on the couch in front of the telly or when you're trying to check your email and that kind of thing. Set some time aside every day and pray this prayer. Pray for the friends. Pray for our link missionaries. Pray that the Lord would raise up laborers for the harvest. Now, tonight I've sort of focused on our heart for mission. I haven't told you to go and get into it and work, uh, to go and become a worker for the harvest. But I want to suggest to you, if you're seeing the things that Jesus sees and if you're feeling the things that Jesus feels, that I'm not so sure that you'll be able to stop yourself from doing that kind of thing. And friends, if you're praying what Jesus wants you to pray, that he would raise up workers for his harvest. Well, in just a moment, Jesus does actually enact he is the Lord of the harvest and he sends the disciples that he told to pray out into the harvest. And so this prayer is actually a fairly dangerous prayer because you might end up becoming the answer to it. Now, it's a dangerous thing to pray, um, but I want to do that dangerous and powerful thing right now. There's no prizes for guessing what we're going to do right now is that we're going to pray. So let's commit our harvest to the Lord of the harvest. Lord Jesus, you are the Lord of the harvest. We want to ask that you'd please help us to see the people that live around us as you see them. Please help us to feel towards these people the compassion that you feel for them. And we want to thank you for our mission partners, and we want to thank you for the heart you've given them. Uh, Father, we want to ask, though, that you would please, please raise up workers for your harvest. We pray that these crowds might know you as we know you, that you might have mercy on them as you've had mercy on us. And Father, we pray that you would use us where necessary. Amen.